I don't know how many of you are fans of professional basketball, uh, but as of today, I'm not much of a fan. But, in fact, I don't even remember the last time I watched a, a, a professional basketball game. But back in the day, when MJ played for the Bulls, yeah, I watched a, a number of those games. And I remember watching the championship series between uh, the Chicago Bulls and the Los Angeles Lakers. It would be the very first championship that MJ would win with the Bulls. Uh, it was played uh, in, in the, uh, the game five, which was the clinching game for the Bulls, was played in the LA Forum. And uh, you might recall in the fourth quarter, the, the Bulls were behind LA. LA was trying to make a push back to bring the series to three and two. And uh, that, that was the quarter in which John Paxson, the, uh, the now general manager, I think he's the general manager of the Bulls, I'm not sure, he made some long range shots and he just couldn't miss and overcame that deficit and the Bulls went on to win the game. And uh, there were a number of Bulls fans there so they kind of flooded the floor and the team had to kind of force their way back into the locker room. But it was typical of a championship locker room. There was uh, laughter and cheers and you know, attaboys and, and uh, the champagne, the traditional champagne showers. Um, but then in the midst of all of that, you might recall, if you saw the pictures, you might recall that suddenly MJ, he knelt down on his knees and he kissed the floor. It wasn't the floor of the forum, it was the floor of his locker room. And then suddenly all of the players gathered around him and the cameras are in the back and the microphones are somewhat off in the distance so you could hear this murmur and then it became more and more clear. They were reciting the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And they went all the way through the end. Some people reacted to that and said, that's sacrilegious. Why? You're reciting the Lord's Prayer as a part of a basketball game? And I can understand that sentiment because we usually hear it on a very more solemn occasion. But the fact of the matter is that it may have been uh, just exactly the right prayer, even maybe more so than a spontaneous prayer. And I say that because it seems as though at least the message that, that I hope was received by many is that even though these guys had won something, the dream of their life, then probably since they were little boys, to be a champion of the world, they saw and they realized there was something more important, something greater, and it was the Father in heaven. And I, I offer that story because it illustrates that the Lord's Prayer is probably the best known prayer in all of the world. No other prayer is known by as many people, said in so many languages, in so many different places. I mean, every Sunday, think about it, in churches around the world, from the mud huts of the equatorial Africa uh, to the clapper churches of, of Louisiana to the house churches of China, millions of Christians gather, and in those expressions of worship, many of them recite the Lord's Prayer. Christians of every denomination recite this. And for 2,000 years, they've been doing it. They've been reciting it and pondering its, me its meaning. And that's what we're doing. We're pondering its meaning in our life here in the 21st century. To explore the Lord's Prayer is like going into a cavern, and you just realize that there's more and more rooms to the cavern. And with each room, there's an even more glorious thing to comprehend. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is. The more we study this prayer, the more it reveals to us who are earnest and understanding it. Though brief and simple, it is profound. I think it's the most profound prayer in all of Scripture. Last week, Pastor Tony spoke on the very first part of that prayer. Uh, you call it the salutation, if you will, the address. 
uh, our Father who art in heaven. And by the way, uh, normally I preach out of the NIV, but for purposes of this series, I'm using the, the traditional recitation of the Lord's Prayer because that's what most of us learned growing up, you know, the thou arts and, and all of that. So that's what we're using. So our Father who art in heaven, reminding us that, uh, that especially in those first two words, our Father, and the beauty and the power that that should have in our lives. But I want to take and I want to look at the next phrase now in the first half of the prayer. Uh, it also happens to be, whether you realize it or not, it is the first request of the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now this is one of the phrases that maybe it's, it's the most common phrase that makes the least sense to us. Uh, that that we, we, we say it, but do we really know what it means? Uh, it, may even, uh, it may even confuse us uh, at times because we don't fully understand what we're asking. I mean, almost all of us get, give us this day our daily bread or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We, almost all of us understand that pretty clearly. But hallowed be your name can be a little confusing. It might even be a struggle for some people. And so that's what we're going to look at. Hallowed be your name. Now, why would people, why would we maybe even struggle with hallowed be your name? Well, first of all, it, it simply, uh, it sounds strange. Hallowed. Hallowed. It's a word that we don't use very often. In fact, I think the last time I used this word was in the Lord's Prayer. I don't remember using it in other normal conversation. Hallowed. It's an archaic word. It smacks of, of long uh, cloistered halls and dismal chants and men in brown robes with censers flowing back and forth. You know, there's an archaic feeling like it's a, a word out of the 12th century. And, uh, and, and so it sounds like it belongs back there, but it has relevance to us today here in the 21st century. But that's one of the reasons maybe we struggle with understanding this. The second reason is because we just don't know what it means. What does the word hallow mean? Um, I mean, if we don't know what it's mean, then we really don't know what we're praying for. And so often in the reciting of the Lord's Prayer, we might very quickly just pass through that and then kind of focus more on the prayer requests that follow, such as give us this day our daily bed. But it's very important to notice that this is the first request in a series of requests. Jesus did not begin with the parts that we more easily understand, like our daily bread or the forgiveness of sin. He starts with something that maybe we struggle to understand. And so there's a crucial point, and that is that prayer doesn't begin with our concerns. Prayer begins with the concerns of God. Or to put it in a more simple form, prayer doesn't begin with us, it begins with God and what He's looking for. So when we pray to the Father, we are to begin by praying, hallowed be your name. Now, the word hallowed itself, uh, it's not really difficult. The word itself means very simply holy or sacred. Uh, we sometimes talk about the hallowed halls of ivy, uh, often, uh, if, in America anyway, referring to the, to the great universities out east often, uh, Yale, Harvard, and all of those. Uh, sometimes you'll hear the phrase, the hallowed halls of Congress, uh, which now must be only a figure of speech because there's not much there these days that's hallowed or sacred. Uh, then, but but I, I really found it interesting because Abraham Lincoln used this word in the Gettysburg Address. How many of you had to learn the Gettysburg Address when you were kids, by memory? How many of you can recite it today, word for word, absolutely accurately? 
unless you teach, you know, history. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things that's kind of lost in time. But uh, I'm looking at a teacher down here. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he used it in his Gettysburg Address. This is what he said. We cannot hallow, we cannot consecrate, we cannot dedicate this ground. Now, why would he say that in that speech? It's because the battlefield of Gettysburg had already been hallowed. It was hallowed by the shedding of blood by men of the North and the South. So you, you take some of that to all, and you begin to realize that to hallow something is to treat it as sacred, holy, worthy of the highest veneration, worthy of the deepest respect. And so the prayer, as far as we've developed it at this point, means, Lord, may your name be treated with respect, may your name be treated with honor, because your name is sacred and it is holy. You hallow God's name when you treat it with the deepest veneration and respect that you're capable of. Which in one sense raises another question. Why did Jesus say, hallowed be your name? You know, it's not exactly the same as saying, hallowed be the name of Paul, hallowed be the name of Peter, hallowed be the name of John, hallowed be the name of whomever the other biblical characters might be. Uh, you know, and, and let's face it, in a name, it's important to us. Your name is important to you. It may not matter, you know, I, my name is William Dudley Moore, Jr., obviously named after my father, William Dudley Moore, Sr. I was named William because my mom and dad liked the name. I was named Dudley because that was the name of my father's favorite uncle. And by naming me such, he wanted to bring honor to my uncle's name. And, uh, and Moore, of course, was the family name, and then Junior because I was named after my father. When we had children, we gave each of our kids, each of our daughters, the middle name Joe, which is my wife's complete first name. Her middle name is Anne. Her first name completely is J-O, Joe. And, uh, and I did it because I wanted, I wanted that name because I wanted to honor their mother, my wife. She wanted that name because she'd been watching a lot of Petticoat Junction that time. <laughs> my point is names mean something. They communicate history, tradition, family heritage. They identify us with the past. They draw us across generations, and many times a shared set of values. In the Bible, a name normally stands for the character or the attributes, the basic attributes of the person who bears the name. For instance, the name Adam means man. The name Eve means life giver. The name Abraham means father of multitudes, and you might recall the promise, the covenant that God entered into Abraham, that he would be the father of many nations. Jacob means cheater. Jacob, you might recall, is the one that deceived his father and received the blessing. He cheated, he not only deceived his father, he cheated his brother. In the New Testament, Peter means rock, which is a reference to the rock-like faith that Peter one day would have. In Bible times, when you called a person's uh, a, a name, or you called them by their name, you weren't just identifying them, you were identifying their character, their personhood. Not just, well, that's one John and that's another John. No, you were identifying who they were in essence, their character. In some ways, we still have that. If I, name the, if I say the name Hitler, what comes to mind? Something pretty negative. The character of evil malicious, bloodthirsty. But when I say the name of Mother Teresa, 
you have a whole different feel of one who's compassionate and kind, cares for the poor. The name means something. They say something in the New Testament and Old Testament about the character of the person. So when I say God, what pops into your mind? What, what is the mental picture that uh, begins to flood your thoughts? For most of us, it's probably some of the Bible stories that we read about when we were children or that we've heard preached from the sermons or from the platforms. For most of us, the name God brings up images of these stories of the Bible, like a God who created the universe out of nothing. Or he parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel as they were fleeing the Egyptians. How he caused the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down. How he enabled David's little stone to slay the giant. Of how he closed the mouths of lions for Daniel so that Daniel could get a good night's sleep. We know God through the things that he has done. We hear the stories. We refer back to the God who stands behind the stories. God's name is his character. It is his reputation. God's name. It's very interesting. If you take and you study the scriptures extensively, and you could do this even on some Bible apps, and you just want to know how many times is the name, name of God, referred to? Not just God, the name itself, but a reference to the name of God. It's very interesting. It's hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Listen to some of these examples, just a, just a handful. Psalm 8.1, how majestic is your name, O Lord. Psalm 27, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Psalm 23, 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 25, 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And maybe one of the most important verses in all of Scripture is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's found three times in the Bible. It's found in Joel 2.32, Acts 2.21, and Romans 10.13. God's name represents who he is. It embodies his personhood, his character. That's why the third commandment says that we are not to take the name of the Lord in vain. That's the opposite of hallowing the name of God. It's to treat it lightly, flippantly, disrespectfully. It's the opposite. So we might say that to hollow God's name means to take it seriously, reverently, with deepest respect, because in doing that, we're also looking at him with respect, with veneration, with admiration, with great honor. Now you pull all of that together, and hallowed be your name kind of means this. This is just my take on it. It'll be on the screen. Lord, may your righteous character be seen in the world so that men and women will respect you for who you really are. May your name be made great so that your creatures will give you the honor and respect that is your rightful due. You could put it this way. <clears throat> oh God, show us who you are. Oh God, may we see you as you are. And, oh God, may we treat you as you want to be treated. We hallow the name of God because God himself is holy and good and sacred. We take it seriously because God's name represents who he is and all that he has done. We don't take it lightly. We don't take it flippantly. 
disrespectfully because we don't take God lightly, flippantly, or disrespectfully. So when we pray like this, we're asking God to cause his word to be believed, to cause his commandments to be obeyed, to cause himself to be glorified around the world. Now, some of you may be saying, okay, if I'm to revere, honor, and and respect the name of God, then I really need to know, who is he really? I mean, when you're going to honor someone, we don't honor Hitler because we know who he really was. We We honor Mother Teresa, although she's now dead, we still honor her name. How? Why? Because we know what she did. We know who she was. What about God? What does God really like so that we can be drawn to hallow his name? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us to wonder about that. We have not only the Old Testament and all the stories of God, but God gave us the absolute and complete answer 2,000 years ago when a baby was born in Bethlehem. That forever answered the question, who is God? What is he really like? If you want to know what God is really like, you look to Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the shining forth of the glory of God. Does God have a name? Yes, his name is Jesus. In him, the abstract of God becomes concrete. When we look at Jesus, all of the theoretical ideas that we have about God are suddenly brought into reality. God has hands and feet and eyes to see and ears to hear, lips to speak. He he has a voice. He speaks a language that we can understand. When we see him touch a leper, we know that no one is too dirty for him. When we see him stop to speak to a beggar, we know that he's never too busy for us. When we see him feed the multitudes with loaves and fishes, we know that he will supply, he has the ability to supply our needs. When we see him with a towel and basin, washing the feet of his disciples, we know that no job is too menial for him. When we see him hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, battered and beaten and bruised and bleeding, spat upon, jeered, ridiculed. And then we hear him cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We suddenly realize that Jesus has no hatred for sinners. In Jesus, we discover a God who takes people seriously. He never treats people casually. He never goes around and says, you're a loser. He's a God who cares enough that he got involved in this ugly, twisted, unredeemed world. That's who God is. If God never took people lightly, we must never take his name lightly, but seek rather to hallow it. There's an obvious observation that one could make at this point, pardon me, and that is that for one thing, if there's one thing that is certain in this world is that the world around the world, his name is not hallowed. The name of God is not hallowed. It's not respected, it's not revered, it's not venerated. In some sense, this petition in the Lord's Prayer is the most appropriate petition that we can have in a sinful world. How are we doing, church, in showing the world how we revere and honor and venerate and respect the name of God, which means the person of God? One observer of the church said in the early church, the Christians were thrown to the lions. In too many cases today, we've joined in a limited partnership with the people who own the lions. 
God's name is not hallowed, hallowed. When we sit back quietly and hundreds of thousands of babies are aborted every year. God's name is not hallowed. When the world takes what God has said about male and female on marriage and we pervert it and the perversion is called good. God's name is not hallowed when we accept all of the filth that is, permeates our homes through media and we allow it. We're not taking God's name and hallowing it when we cheat on our taxes and joke about it. When we have leaders and we expect them to lie and we're not broken by it. When we keep quiet in order to avoid rebuke or reproach or persecution. When we envy secretly sinners that do things that we wish we could do, is not, that's not hallowing God's name. When we value the approval of others before we value the approval of God. When we hold grudges and anger and hate for days and weeks and months and years and act upon it, seeking to get the last bit of blood from the one that we have animosity for. I could go on. Too often we have entered into partnership with the world that owns the lions. A few years ago, a major organization reported a survey that compared the ethical behavior of Christians with the ethical behavior of the general population. The survey found that there is no substantial difference in the ethical behavior of those who call themselves Christians and the general population. Some have said, as the world gets more churchy, the church gets more worldly. Oh God, forgive us. I'm not saying all this so that we'll all go out and feel beat up. I'm just saying it because I think that's the reality of where the church is, especially in the Western cultures. I'm not saying that we should seek and pray for persecution because we want to live rightly before God or that we should adopt some kind of martyr complex. That's the farthest thing that I'm saying. But I wonder if we took the name of God more seriously, meaning that we took God more seriously, would the people who don't care about God maybe take us more seriously? William Barclay is a Bible commentator who has been used by pastors for countless decades. And uh, he, he, he wrote this. He said, if a Christian under pressure loses his temper just like a non-Christian does, or if he becomes just as nervous or anxious, or if he is just as greedy or just as gluttonous or just as cruel or just as materialistic as the neighbor next door, that is, if his faith doesn't actually change the way he or she lives, they shouldn't be surprised that their neighborhood evangelism does not win many converts. After all, why be converted to something that is not much different from what you already have? And then he goes on to say this about this particular petition, hallowed be your name. He says, the very essence of this petition is that in it we pray that God may enable us to show that we are redeemed so that, our lives he may be, so that in our lives he may be glorified and so that through us others may come to desire the secret which we possess. This petition prays that we may be enabled to show Christ to men that men may desire Christ. There's a lot more in this hallowed be thy name than maybe first blush. Amen? 
I asked the early church, uh, the, the early crowd, I, I asked, what, what if, what if a, a camera crew followed Bill Moore around for this entire week, filmed absolutely every moment of my life, every moment, would it show any material difference in my life from the rest of the world because I claim to know Jesus, that I am a Christian? Friends, does the fact that you bear the name Christian, Christ, does that make any difference in how you live? Because that's the, really the bottom line of this petition. When you pray, hallowed be your name, you are really praying, oh God, help me to live in such a way that your name may be made great in my life. May your reputation be increased by the world by how I live. That's the real essence of this prayer. I think that's the reason it's the first thing that Jesus teaches us in all of the various petitions that we'll be looking at. That before you pray about what you want, you are to pray about what God wants. And what God wants is to be revered, respected, venerated in our lives so that the world will understand and know. Some years ago, I, I had a brochure. I looked for it and I couldn't find it, so I probably, in the various moves over my lifetime, I probably lost it. But inside the book, there were three circles with a throne in the middle of each circle. It should be on, on the screen. Do we have that, Bill? Okay. It's there. There you go. Notice the first circle. Christ is not a part of that person's life. They don't know Christ. They don't even claim to know Christ. S is self. Self rules their life. That's representative of the unbeliever. The middle circle shows that Christ is in this person's life. Maybe they've made a profession of faith. Maybe they, they've made some efforts to try to understand Jesus and what it is to be a, Christ, a follower. But notice the S is still on the throne, self-directed. I'm still going to decide what I do in my life. And then there's a last circle where Christ is sitting on the throne. It is Christ's lordship in that person's life. doesn't mean that they're perfect. It just means that they are seeking to live their life according to what Christ would have them to live. Christ is Lord. Every person sitting in this sanctuary right now is in one of those three circles. Every single person. You are either Christ is not a part of your life, or you're a believer, but you're still dictating what you want to happen in your life, that your fleshly desires still control, still move you in the direction you want to go, or Christ is truly the Lord of your life, and that doesn't mean you're perfect, but you seek to live in accordance with what God would say. Why? So that his name will be hallowed in your life. So that the world will know you respect and venerate and love God. Too many of us live in the middle circle. I vacillate between the middle and the end. I vacillate between circle number one and circle number two, three, or circle number two and circle number three. I live way too much in the middle circle. Who would join me and say, yep, I've lived there quite a bit. Hallowed be your name is wanting you to move from that middle circle to the end circle.
Hallowed be your name. If God were to answer the prayers that you have prayed over the last week, whose name would be glorified? Yours or God's? When you pray, hallowed be your name, with true understanding, you're basically saying, Lord Jesus, ascend to the throne of my life so that I can hallow your name and so that others will see who you really are. And it's not only the lordship of life, but it, it also has to do, <clears throat> pardon me, with the, the courage and the encouragement that you get when you are seeking to hallow the name of God by having Christ as Lord of your life. You might recall David. I mentioned David a little while ago. You might recall David when he was that young little boy. You remember when David said, what he said to Goliath when he went to face the giant? This is what he said in 1 Samuel 17, 45. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you with a howitzer. No, a tank. No, a nuclear missile. No. Come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. He took courage. And I wonder what Goliath thought. He must have laughed. Who are you kidding me? This snot-nosed little kid? Well, your army has, 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 has fled from me for 39 days. No one's dared to step out against me. Now you send out this little snot-nosed little run of a pimple-faced kid? Ha, 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 ha. And within moments, he's flat on his face. Because David picked up a stone, he put it in the sling, he slung it, and he had a lucky shot. <laughs> See the smile? Joke, joke. No, nothing lucky about it. It wasn't the stone that made the difference, it was the courage of David in the name of the Lord. He drew courage from knowing that he sought to bring, to hallow the name of God in that moment. Friends, we bear the name of the Lord. His reputation in the world rests upon us. We honor that name. We increase his reputation when we, when, when we live for him. When Christ reigns in us. Whenever we pray, hallowed be your name, we are asking God's name be made great instead of our name. We are praying against our own selfish interests. You understand that? When we ask God to hallow his name, we're praying against the interest that we want to keep our business from him or our finances from him or we want to keep our leisure the way it is and not let him have sovereignty over it or whatever the area of life is. Too many of us are saying, Lord, I'm going to give you everything in my life but this. I, I got to keep that for me. That's not lordship. We all have areas that we think we can hide from God. Every person in this room does. Every person, including the guy on this platform. Things that we would never want God to sign his name to. And that's the, really the test. When we pray, hallowed be your name, and we, we think that we're really trying to give God every aspect of our life so that his name can be revered in our life and through our life, Maybe we should ask ourselves, would God sign his name to that? Would God sign his name to your prayers? To what's deep within your heart? My dad's been gone for five years. 
Um, today's the 25th, am I right? 26th? Tuesday. My dad will be gone five years on Tuesday. I was named after my dad. Every once in a while, I'll still run across someone when I'm in Rockford that knew my dad and just say, will say, boy, you really remind me of him. And I probably do physically, but I think it's more than that. They see a little bit of who my dad was in me. And so I always take it as a compliment. You know a little bit about my dad just by me. Because a little bit of what he is, maybe a lot of what he is, and what his values were have been passed down to me. And I live them out. And that's what this prayer is all about when it comes to our relationship with the Father. Only we, he wants us to bear all of him. He wants all of Christ to come through. So hallowed be your name, God, in my life and through your life. May Christ reign supreme so that the world will know that you are God Almighty and you are Lord of all. Father, we come to you and we say thank you for this time. Thank you for this incredible prayer that just, Lord, it's like a cavern. It just keeps leading us further and further in, deeper and deeper. I pray that we will not take it lightly, but might we truly pursue understanding what Christ taught us to pray because, Lord, in teaching us to pray this, he has revealed so much of what you desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.